Hi, I'm Serena Halstead. I'm Spencer Ziegler. Hi, I'm Melissa Smith, and welcome to Data Lit. So we are exploring our data literacy series, and in our last episode, we discussed why be data lit. In this episode, we are going to uncover the word data and explain data types. So I was reading a book called Data and Teaching by McDonald, Isakoff, and Karen, and they share that the word data has Latin roots and provide an explanation about data that I found interesting. They said that data consists of an empirically discerned traces of some phenomena of interest as captured by some device. And in education, devices could be considered as clickers, a pop quiz, a state quiz, a laptop, cameras, handheld notations, so the gamut. And I found that interesting because just as we had various classifications for assessments, when we looked at assessment types last season, we have various classifications for when it comes to data. So one of the most widely known classifications is qualitative versus quantitative data. So If you've done any type of statistical work, that sounds very familiar to you. There's also in that statistics and math world, you hear people talking about numerical data, categorical data. My daughter is doing uh, math one, so she's coming home talking about discrete and continuous data. All of these make sense in their context, like we talked about in the last time. However, in school settings, when we are considering data and the data that's needed for continuous improvement, I find that we tend to lean on the work of Victoria Bernhardt, and she talks about these four data types or four measures, namely student learning. So that's that's a given, right? Um, you sometimes hear it referred to like achievement data or student outcomes. She also talks about perceptions. Uh, she talks about looking at your demographics or your staff or your student characteristics. And then lastly, one that I feel as though we don't tend to look at in the school processes. And so, Spencer, to help us with this scenario and kind of give us a better sense of an analogy to sort of think of these four measures, I know that you had this bakery example. Do you want to sort of share that with us? Yeah, just to kind of stress that data is data and data literacy skills, like we talked about last episode, apply no matter what your role is. We'll, we'll look at each of these types through the prism of uh, an owner of a bakery and how, what kind of, what the data might look like in those four categories for them before then looking at the educational connection. All right. So let's start with the one that we know the most, which is our student learning data or achievement data. So Bernhardt says that this, of course, student learning describes the results of our educational system. And that's usually in terms of the dreaded standardized test results, grade point averages, grades, standard assessments, authentic assessments. So student learning is anything that we get from typically the assessments that we get. So what would that look like in your bakery example? Yeah, so for that, you mentioned that you can kind of think this category as um, outcomes. Mm -hmm. So I think of it as just what is the outcome that you're paying the most attention to that you are chasing? So for a bakery, this might be, you know, the sales. That, that's yeah, ultimately yeah. going to be probably the, the, the chief data point that you're looking at. But just like with education, you can't just stop there. You have to look at the other types to make sense of it. So I would think sales would be the, the equivalent to student learning data. I like that. So Serena, when you think of your time in the classroom, what was um, student learning data outcomes for you? So as it relates to um, achieving data, I'm looking at um, students' performance on tests. Um, I'm looking at their grades. I'm looking at goals that I've set for them um, throughout the year and short-term goals, long-term goals. 
I'm looking at how well they are performing in meeting these goals. And as it um, goes back to achievement data, now, uh, Melissa, you mentioned qualitative and quantitative um, data. So in terms of qualitative data, I'm also thinking about that descriptive feedback that I provide for students in regards to their learning. And as for um, the quantitative part of it, I'm looking at the numeric scores that we assign to their tests that they do in class or um, those scores that we assign to standardized assessments. So another one, another measure that um, Victoria Bernhardt talks about is our uh, perception data. And so that's usually the information that's provided about how well schools or stakeholders believe that they're being served. So Spencer, in your example, what would be perception data? So I think that, and this is interesting because I, as a customer of bakery, this is probably the data type that I pay the most attention to when I'm looking at bakeries, not their sales, but just how do their users feel about it. So the, the, the reviews on Yelp or Google Maps, you know, comments, you know, surveys that they might put out there to try to own this data type a little bit more, but just how do people feel about eating there, drinking there? So when we think of the educational connections, Serena, what connections do you make for this one? So um, as it relates to perception data, I'm thinking about how do our stakeholders feel about our schools, right? And, and for our stakeholders or students, parents, teachers, other members of the school community, we have specific questions like, are we meeting um, the needs of these um, persons or stakeholders, right? And so perception, how do they perceive, for example, how does the child perceive the school? Does the child like, you know, coming into this particular school each day? What about the parents? How does the parents feel? Do the parents feel invited into the school? And then also the teachers. The teachers um, definitely will think that they are doing a good job. But then how does the parents feel about what the teachers are doing? And then even so, how does the teachers feel? So perceptions data even relates to the teacher's perception. One good example that we have here is the North Carolina um, Teacher Working Condition Survey and also our WCPSS Student Survey. These provide valuable perception data. Teachers can also collect perception data from students, right, as well as parents. That perception data coming from parents and um, students alike. Yeah, there's there's an article that we'll drop in the show notes, uh, Why Teachers Must Be at Data Experts, and they point out in teaching, relationships and perceptions matter as much as curriculum and practice. I think that's 100% true, but we don't always act in that. You know, And Bernhardt, and we'll drop this in the show notes as well, points out that perceptions are important since people act in congruence with what they believe, perceive, or think about different topics. So I think we definitely need to pay attention to the data types, the, the perception data that we have access to. And it doesn't always have to be some giant thing. This one can be a conversation. We can generate our own data with this area. And it's important because, yeah, relationships matter. I want to add to that, that when you said it doesn't have to be like a formal thing, yeah. like just observing, right? When you, If you have a student in class that comes in and sits in the back of the corner and slumps down and put his head down every day, that's perception data right there, right? Sure. <laughs> that's telling you something about your learning environment. That's telling you that student is giving you perception data about how he feels about class, how he feels about this lesson. You know, that's, that's data that it doesn't have to be like, hey, you know, tell me how you feel about your class, but just, just observing students in your class is perception data. 
Yeah, I think that's really true, and that's something that we have to consider when we're teaching online because mm. you might not have access uh, to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh, yeah. we also do need to guard against our biases then in that different cultures sometimes might manifest their perceptions in different ways. So don't assume that you know, my reading of body language might be a little bit more accurate with people that have a similar background to me. Than yes. Others. So really try to, as much as you can, um, follow that up with the confirmation of how do they actually feel. As you mentioned that, um, Spencer, the perception data. So I'm thinking then about a combination of data sources. So not just looking at perception data, because we mentioned perception data has to do with qualitative um, information, right? But then we also think about the quantitative aspect of it. Um, so we, the, the school report card, for example, um, that provides us with some quantitative data, but then also we have that perception data where we think about the teacher working condition survey. And it just makes me think to myself, you know, before even applying to a particular school that I wanted to work there, did I ever stop to pay attention to perception data of the school? Matter of fact, did I even know where to find it? And also, I mean, even you sitting here, you know, now that we're in this office, we know more about perception data, but did we ever stop to really pay attention to what the reviews are? As you mentioned, Spencer, um, you get some reviews on your bakery from Yelp, but when we were applying for our teaching positions in different schools, did we ever stop to pay attention to the perception data? How do the teachers in the school feel about the school? You know, how does the community members feel about the school? So perception data, definitely we have those numbers, but the perception data should be paired nicely with it to get a bigger overall picture of what is going on within a school. Totally agree with that. As you said that, it made me think that, yes, I can't even remember what the website, there used to be a website where you can type in any school anywhere in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and it will give you like reviews of what people said. But again, you had to be data literate enough yeah. to look at and read it all, right? To kind of like, well, how recent, how current, is this a bit apparent? And I mean, not to say that bit parents don't have, their their perceptions are not valuable, but you had to take it all into consideration and do yeah. some sort of um, think of the source, interpret some of that kind of stuff, like put it all together when you're doing perception data. Yeah. And I think that that goes to Serena's point that the intersectionality is important. So with that, you want to kind of cross-reference the perception data with the demographic data to think about, do these voices that I'm hearing, do they represent all of my stakeholders right. or just the amount that can show up to this location or fill out the survey, whatever it might be? So I'm hearing more so something like data triangulation here, right? Trying to look at different data sources to gain better understanding of the results that we're seeing. This so is not just looking at the perception, but also looking at the numbers, right? And then we're also trying to confirm whether, well, not just confirm, but, you know, cross-checking or confirming whether the correctness of the result is what it really is. So a third um, measure that Bernhard talks about is demographic data, right? And so that usually, I like demographic data because like when Sprint was talking about, you know, data to tell a story, that provides your context. So those are like your context clues that you can use to identify, you know, an age, gender, race, your teacher certification at your school, any of those markers that kind of help you describe the context of your data, we're seen as demographic or student and teacher characteristics. So what's that looking like in your bakery example? So I think that would be, you know, who are your customers? Are they young? Are they old? Do they live close? Do they live far away from what cultures, what income level? All those things is going to be really valuable information to figure out, you know, 
how you should market, who you should try to reach, how you can expand that. Should you be advertising in newspaper or on TikTok or some, I'm out of touch. I don't know if TikTok is something that it actually is, but that, that, that just kind of proves the point. So yeah, the, the demographic data is going to really help you out as a baker and I think as an educator as well. So when we think of demographic data, we're thinking of um, descriptions as to who are we serving in our schools. Um, demographic data has to do with like identity markers. So for example, we're looking at demography in terms of age. We're looking at um, in terms of gender race, language, and income. We're also even looking at years of experience of our teachers. Demographic data definitely, it gives us that better description as to who are we serving in the schools. And, you know, Bernhardt points out something that I thought was interesting, that the demographic data, you know, that's the part of our education system over which we have little or no control but with which we can observe trends and glean information for purposes of predictions and planning. So I thought that was really interesting that we can't necessarily control who's coming through our doors, but we can control that every kid, no matter what, is going to have an equal opportunity there. So that last measure that Bernhard talks about, and the one that I feel as though we tend to overlook the most, is uh, process data. And she talks about that measure about how well our procedures or strategies themselves work. And so if we look at your bakery example, Spencer, where would process data show up? I think this is one that really probably shows up in a lot of areas in a bakery that we can then think about um, how we might inspect them in a school. Because there would be processes all over the place that you would think that a bakery owner would want to keep track of. You know, how efficient are they with their opening procedures, with their closing procedures? How labor intensive is it to make that croissant that sells well? Or maybe that, that apple fritter that doesn't sell well? which should because apple fritters are delicious. <laughs> so all throughout, you're, you're probably small business uh, owners are looking at these processes. And likewise, I think we as educators can do the same because just as understanding that for bakeries can help them to be more efficient and effective, I think it can help us in schools as well. So Serena, when you think of process data, what are some educational connections? So processes in terms of programs that we are implementing in our schools, for example, we find a new reading model that we have heard worked, we have done the research on it, and so we have decided to implement it within our schools. Now, the process is, have we implemented the reading program with Fidelity? And even after implementing it, are we following up to make sure that all the things that we say we would do to make sure that the model works Are we going back and checking and making sure that we are staying true to what the model requires? And also processes in terms of instructional and assessment um, strategies. Different instructional strategies are available, but are we making sure that are all teachers trained to use a particular strategy? Instructional models as well. How much do we come back to the table and say, is this working for our student? If, If it's not, What can we change? What can we tweak? Do we just throw it out because it's not working? Or do we look back to see if we have done it correctly so far? Or do we need to add something more to it? Also, um, classroom practices. What are are some of our classroom practices? Simple processes like how do students move from this grade level to the next? Mm -hmm. Are we documenting students' information correctly, their grades? Are we documenting behaviors? How are, where are we storing all of this? 
So do we have system in place to make sure that at the end of the day, if something is not working well, can we backtrack to find where it's not working well and how can we uh, move it forward? What do we need to add to it? So all of this, when we think of our processes, we need to consider them in terms of how well we are implementing them and whether we are reassessing to making sure that they are working well. Yeah, and I think that we, I, I think we have a responsibility to make it as expansive as possible. Bernhardt, I thought that was interesting. She pointed out that this is the measure that seems to be the hardest for teachers to describe. Um, because it's it, personal. It, yeah, it's personal, and it's just something that 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 it might be doing class class, and maybe don't take a step back to kind of reflect on it. And they have just have so much to do. And she points out to change the results schools are getting. Teachers and school personnel must begin to document these processes and align them with the results they're getting in order to understand what to change to get different results and to share the success with others. So I think this is a measure that we that are not classroom teachers have a responsibility to help the classroom teachers out, especially during a pandemic to take one less thing off their plate. So if we, you know, program accountability, we have great self-monitoring resources or, you know, instructional support people, administrators, help your teachers with the process data so that they can act on it because it's, it's a lot to ask them to collect that data in addition to everything else. I feel as though when the process data, like I said, the one, the one that I feel as though it is least looked at, because it's the one that when I say take it personal, it's the one where you look at what are the adults in the building yeah. doing. Sure. Um, and so much of teaching and learning is we're always focusing on the students, and rightly so. Yeah. But ever so often, you kind of have to step back and be like, okay, so the students are one beings, one set of beings in the school, but the adults are the other set of beings. And if we focus and look at what are the adults doing and how can we support that aspect of it, then we see the, the relationship between what the adults are doing to what the students are doing. And so I like when she says that it is a hard process because I think it requires a lot of self-reflection. And when I think of myself in the classroom, I mean, if I had to really step back when I'm trying to figure out and I'm looking at my student learning data and trying to figure out why it is what it is, mm -hmm. It's easy for me to say, well, I'm not looking at you know, my teaching, <laughs> but that's part of the process, right? Part of this whole teaching learning is what am I doing? What did I do? What can I do differently? As Serena was saying, making those small tweaks. But that's, it's, it's hard because it's time consuming, but it's hard because it's personal to me, right? I can talk about what you're doing and what this one's not doing. But I mean, for me to sit down and talk and, and take a step back and look at what am I doing, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, like doing national boards. Like, yeah. you know, that sort of self-reflection, you have to look back at your teaching and really take a, take a hard look. It, it's, it's, it's a difficult process. That's true. In our next episode, we'll talk about how to communicate data, how to share data in a way that doesn't feel quite so personal. And I think that's probably particularly important with process data for that reason. So whether you're running a shop or a classroom, how can knowing about these different measures be beneficial to teachers when we think of all that we've discussed so far? Serena, what do you think? So different stakeholders will look at these type of data for different purposes. A school improvement team, for example, who wants to increase family or community engagement within the school will want to look at perception data to find out how parents feel about how well school is serving their student. Happy parents will want to contribute or participate and, you know, vice versa where that is concerned. Question a team may want to ponder is how do parents describe the school climate? Are staff welcoming? 
I can see it's easy to, you know, look at the, the angle from what the teachers believe that they're doing, but then also be looking at from the outsiders, the community stakeholders, the parents. And all four types of data, they're relevant in conducting a comprehensive need assessment for the school. I, when I think of these four types of data, it helps to build, or I should say, it's the school profile. Mm. It helps to build that true picture of what the school is, what, what is the school purpose, what is it serving, who are they serving? And so all four data types, you can look at it for trends, you can look at it for strengths, what weaknesses are there, what can we improve on, um, what do we need to prioritize? For example, in our school improvement teams, we look at, we said we want to build more family and community engagement, but where are we pulling that data from? Are we looking at our perception data? So all four data types, as I said before, they help us to uh, make decisions about our school, even our professional development plan for the school these data types can help us in determining what next um, in our decisions that we make. Yeah, and similarly, I, I would stress just don't just stop after student achievement data, which sometimes we, we have a tendency to do. Um, Bernhardt points out that many educators believe that over 50% of student achievement results can be explained by other factors. That being true, if we want to change the results we're getting, we have to understand the other 50% to know why we're getting the results we're getting. Um, and Serena gave some examples of times in which you want to look at all four for really big pernicious problems, but you don't always have to do that. Sometimes by just looking at two different data types, it can help you to understand a question better, be it looking at demographics and student learning to ask, you know, do students who attend school every day perform better on state assessments than students who miss five days per month, as Bernhardt gives? Or another example she provides is, you know, looking at maybe perception by student learning. Do students with positive attitudes about school do better academically as measured by state assessment? So based on the issue that you're facing, consider looking at different data types in order to reveal a little bit more about what's going on beneath the surface. I agree, but I think our goal should always be, if we are saying that we are serving all students, then the best way to get at that is to try and find the intersection of all True. four of those measures, because again, it will incorporate everything, right? Not just the student learning, the dem biodemographic, by the process, by the perception, all four will give you that really deep question to make sure that you're addressing the needs of all of your students. And so I think Knowing these four measures definitely provides that context for what you are seeing and to better problem solve and analyze the data to answer that question at hand, right? To get at that deep level question. And so just as we started with the bakery analogy and wondering about how to improve a business when considering the data around us, it is equally important to start with a question first in order to know what data should be considered for collection. And so speaking of data questions, in our next episode, we will look at how to talk about data when you're with your PLCs. And so this brings us to the end of this episode. As always, if you have questions or comments or further notes, visit us at www.wcpss.net forward slash datalit. Again, we want to thank uh, Logan Foster from Cary High School for our music. And for now, we're saying goodbye. Take care. Bye.